Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We're going to spend some time now on the issue of uh, the fires. And please don't, I just tweeted this, don't tie yourselves in knots over the use of the word wildfires. I've seen emails, just absolutely people outraged. How can you call it a wildfire? Okay, so let's do this. Cambridge Dictionary. This is how the Cambridge Dictionary defines wildfire. A fire that is burning strongly and out of control on an area of grass or bushes in the countryside. That's it. That's it. A fire that is burning strongly and out of control on an area of grass or bushes in the countryside. That is it. Please settle down. You're going to blow your main blood vessels. Good grief. Uh, Professor Michael Mehta joins us from Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops in British Columbia. We've had the uh, privilege to speak with Professor Mehta in the past about the issue of uh, the danger of the smoke from these fires. And this is something he specializes in. Uh, Professor Mehta, good to have you back with us. Let me just ask you, given where you are, how are you? I'm fine, Roy. Today is actually a little bit of a reprieve here in Kamloops. Although we are surrounded by fire and smoke, uh, I'm thinking more of the Johnny Cash song, Ring of Fire, in this case. Uh, and it is, of course, all across our province and in many right. other provinces, right. as, as you know. How much of a direct threat is it to the, to the uh, city of and neighborhoods of Kamloops? Um, I put it at actually fairly high. It's uh, less than 10 kilometers away. And as we saw with the, Cam- the Kelowna fires, uh, 10 kilometers isn't very much when no. the winds are blowing. And, of course, uh, we know that wildfires also accelerate when they go up mountains and up hills, uh, and it's on the other side of a mountain range. So, well, that may seem like some kind of protection, but once it breaches the fire breaks and uh, starts to run up that hill, it will go across very easily. Yeah, it's, it's really scary because the one in, uh, in Kelowna, and I'll, we'll be speaking with Ted Farr, news director at AM 1150 in Kelowna, a little later. I've known Ted for many years. Uh, he was ordered evacuated out of his home. On Friday, but we found out that fire particularly increased a hundredfold in a, in a matter of hours. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's what happens. You've got all this dry fuel, these drought conditions that are not just this year; they're multi-year, some would argue multi-decadal drought conditions that just lead to this. You've got the fuel, you've got the uh, the dry lightning, which is uh, becoming more common. This is essentially when precipitation is falling, but it's so dry that it doesn't hit the ground, and you've got the lightning and the thunder, mm-hmm. and that's what just sparks it all. You're in drought conditions, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kamloops is arguably a semi-arid uh, desert. There's no question right. that this is a dry area to begin with. But when you have all this fuel around you, like the boreal forest, and a lot of that fuel has been damaged by the pine beetle infestation over the, the last decade or so, uh, that just makes things so much worse. Mm-hmm. Any rain in the forecast? No. <laughs> no. You can have I, some of ours in southern Ontario. has been doing nothing but rain all all oh, summer long. That's, that's good news for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it'd be nice. Uh, maybe I'll do a rain dance after we get off the phone. Okay, fine. Do one now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a musician as well. I know that. I am. I actually just wrote a couple of songs this last week. One of them is called Summer's Not the Same Anymore, and I was just performing it before we got on the phone, all about how summers have been destroyed by the wildfires and the smoke. Wow. And uh, it's, uh, it's a sad song, but, yeah. you know, it. We have to tap into our emotions, too. Otherwise, you will blow a gasket. Absolutely. Earlier. Please uh, please email me the song. We'll play it on the air. 
Would you? That's yeah, absolutely. Amazing. For sure. Okay, thank we'll you. We'll get you back yeah. on so you can tell us about it, and we'll play it. Sure. Yeah. That, absolutely. I would love that. So let's get at this whole issue, because along with the fires, call them wildfire or whatever you want to call them, people get so excited about a certain use of a certain word. I mean, I've been called... You know, several emails have called me the the letter that it, that comes after E in the alphabet, <laughs> just because right. I use the word wildfire. So, you know, it, look at the Cambridge Dictionary definition; you'll get it. So, the, the, let's talk about Not the, the worst being called fudge or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, please, what are the fundamentals about of health concern? That goes along with the, with the smoke from these fires because it's massive, and now it's reaching across the, the continent again, and arguably to different parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, it travels thousands of kilometers. We, we've seen that in previous years as well. It, the smoke itself is, is a toxic cocktail of more than 200 different chemicals, many of them carcinogenic, heavy metals. It has radioactive materials in it as well, naturally radioactive materials that are pulled up by the, from the soil and the grown in you know, everything incorporated into the trees, wood, uh, those kinds of things. They, they turn into dioxins and, and furans and a whole bunch of other chemicals, formaldehyde. You also get high levels of other kinds of um, pollutants like ozone, which is a really powerful lung irritant. So when you have a wildfire, you have PM, PM2.5 particulate matter, certain size. You got ozone, and you've got a whole bunch of these other kinds of gases and mixes. Carbon monoxide levels go pretty high as well. And and when uh, when there's a theory that if I can't taste it, uh, then then it's not really going to be troublesome. So I'll, I'll I'll get on my bike and I'll go for a ride. Yeah, not a good idea. No, not a good not idea. A good idea. We, we become progressively nose blind to the smell of smoke the longer we're exposed to it. Yeah, some of us are more sensitive than others. Um, you do have to defer to monitors uh, like the Purple Air Network, which I've set up in large parts of BC, PurpleAir.com, and other networks like that all across the world, basically. And you have to look at in real time what's going on and make a decision about whether to go out and what you're going to do. I mean, sometimes you just have to go out and play and do things, even though the levels are a little bit higher, but. You've got to be careful about doing that for too long a period of time and, of course, too many days in a row. So you might take a, a period of, you know, afterwards or before of indoor rest with nice filtered, of purified air. Those are all important things to do. Okay. For the people who have to be outside and moving about, and I'm thinking now directly in British Columbia or the Northwest Territories, the firefighters, and, you know, the people, the people who are helping with the first responders and people who are helping with evacuations, what, what do they need to do or what should they do for themselves? Well, unfortunately, they, they don't protect their lungs very well. You know, we know this is one of the reasons why we know firefighters in general have a much higher risk of cancer after a career, much higher. And um, they, they don't, unless they're in a house or an environment using oxygen and respirator masks, the wildfire fires outdoors are not wearing respirator masks, generally speaking, too hot, too difficult, and other sort of barriers. It'd be nice if we could actually come up with an innovation that would protect them a little bit better. These are young people. Uh, we know that if you have exposure in your early years, you may be able to overcome some of it temporarily, but it's cumulative. The more years you do it, the more harm it does. Yeah. When, when, I, when I called you last evening, and, and again, thank you for coming on the program, short notice, mm, you, you have some concerns about, uh, I don't want to say lack of, well, maybe I should say lack of communication about the, uh, about the fires. Share that with us, please. Yeah, well, you know, the communication is... Is, um, is there, but it's coming primarily from official channels. Because, you know, with Facebook in particular, Meta, as it's now called, um, blocking access to Canadian news, a lot of people aren't able to post, um, you know, those stories 
Uh, some of those stories are from local media. And as a result of that, you are not getting all of the details. What I really like about uh, these social media platforms is that they're much more in real time. People, for example, in your neighborhood may see a fire, they may post about it, they may pull in an article here and there and start a conversation. People post pictures, videos, whatever it happens to be. And this is what people rely on. Uh, if you have to wait for official sources, like in the case of British Columbia, BC Wildfire Service, to update their website, sometimes that's uh, because they're so busy. Sometimes that can be a day later. So we really need, in my opinion, Roy, um, a new social media platform, a made-in-Canada social media platform that is specifically geared to emergency issues. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can do that, it would be a big step forward. Yeah. I mean, Meta is proving itself to be a, a big tech uh, thug outfit because they're not even making exceptions for what's going on in this country now. We can do it without them. You know, there's that old rock song, God got along without you before I met you, going to get along without you now. So, I mean, okay, we... I don't, I don't know that one. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I used to be a rock jock, so <laughs> oh, all that okay. stuff is wandering around in my brain periodically makes it to the front. <laughs> and not, yeah. for, not for the ultimate betterment of Roy Green's life, I, I should add. But, oh. uh, no, it's a very serious issue. The, 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 we, ought, we rely on communication... Communication can exist, and when big tech decides to do what it's done, kick them out of your life. Yeah, just, just take them to the curb. You know, I fully agree. And I, I think this is where a, a group of people, um, maybe a, as a nonprofit or something similar, yeah. should create this platform, and it should be supported by all the, the big media as well. Yeah. And uh, we should just go with it. Great idea. Do it now. <laughs> Uh, my thanks as well to Brent Pushkarenko of 630 Chet in Edmonton, our chorus radio station, who provided me with the names of, and contact information for several of our guests today, including uh, Carter Castile, who joins us now. He's a Yellowknife born and raised, and he self-evacuated from the city. Carter, um, thank you for joining us. I, I would imagine the, I mean, these fires in the, in the forests, call them what you will, uh, are, are no are not really uh, unknown to uh, to Yellowknife, but this one is is a monster. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, definitely. I mean, the biggest fire that Yellowknife has seen. Um, obviously, this is the first time we've had to done uh, had to do an evacuation like this with twenty thousand people. Yeah. Um, but there has been some uh, fires uh, before um, that has affected uh, communities like Hay River and KFN. Uh, but this is definitely the biggest case that, that we've seen so far. So you left, as I understand it, you evacuated shortly before the official evacuation order was was given. Tell us about the route you took. First of all, is that correct? And then tell us, please, the route you took. And you you drove at night, yes? Yeah, so we left um, we left about a few hours before the 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 evacuation alert was given. We had um, we were in contact with a few people from the city uh, that were dealing with it, um, and they just uh, told us to pack up and go. So um, I got in the car with a few family friends, and we we left on on that main highway, and um, it was um, it was pretty pretty backed up. Uh, there's like probably a hundred to 200 cars in front of us. And by the time, you know, we got settled in there, there was a lot more behind us. So a lot of people, you know, just trying to get out, um, the highway was on and off, um, uh, due to the fires that were so close to the sides. Um, the bombers had to swoop in past and 
kind of get rid of those fires so people could walk through or uh, drive through and, and wow. uh, safely. So. so as you're driving and you're driving at night on this highway and you're trying to get to Alberta, the fire is actually encroaching on the road and it takes the water bombers to back it off so you can get through. What was that like? I mean, it was it was uh, it was pretty surreal. I mean, just watching those big planes fly over you as you're trying to drive down the highway, and uh, the fire had uh, had jumped a couple of days ago across the highway. So you got you got flames on both sides of you as you're as you're driving down, and it's it's scary, um, you know, seeing seeing those big flames and and having to you know close air circulation through the through the truck and and stuff just so that you can breathe, so that you don't breathe in smoke. Um, and just seeing like the destruction, like I know, uh, when we passed enterprise, like there was so many buildings that were burnt down and it's just, it's, it's, it's scary to see how quickly a situation can escalate and how much damage it can cause. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you couldn't turn around and go back to this, you know, cause you were going one way and had so much traffic on the road and the road was under, under attack by the fire. Did you have any concern at any time that you might not be able to make it to Alberta because of the fires? Um, not for us. Uh, we, we were fortunate enough to leave early enough so that we would be able to get out. Um, but I know my father who just left, um, you know, a couple of days ago, he said that, uh, you know, he made it past, uh, Indian cabins and an hour later, uh, the RCMP showed up and, and closed it off. So there is still people that are stuck uh, in the NWT right now in certain areas, um, that have, you know, that have no way of getting out. Um, but we were fortunate enough to leave to leave early enough to, to, to get through and, and make it to Alberta. Yeah, that's scary eh? when people are still stuck at this point. Have you been able to stay in touch with family and friends who evacuated after you? You said you were in contact with your dad, but have you been in generally been able to contact folks you wanted to talk to? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, we've been we've been able to to, to contact people. Uh, I mean, I um, I know all my friends and. And family are uh, have left Yellowknife. Um, I have, um, you know, my my family who's who was already in BC. So, uh, you know, I've been able to stay in contact with them, but uh, the the fires haven't really disrupted too much the the cell service and things like that. But I know that uh, some people still have family members in Yellowknife um, that are first responders and yeah. just telling the stories of, of people and uh, what's going on in, in the Yellowknife right now with uh, with all different kinds of things. I know there was uh, three cases of arson that people had uh, had done when people were evacuating. I know that there was reports of, um, you know, people breaking into other people's homes. So it's, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty scary just thinking, like, the wildfires on top of what's going on at home and how people are taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, that's just brutal. That's just awful. Uh, where are you? Is where you're staying in Alberta? How's that working out? Uh, we talked. We've heard about resources challenges for some of the organizations that are looking after evacuees. Everything okay for you? Yeah, no, I'm fortunate enough to have some family here in uh, in in the city of Edmonton, so I'm just staying with my aunt here, but. I know there, there's a lot of people, you know, still trying to look for, for places to stay. And the main thing is, is, is people with, uh, you know, animals and pets. And mm-hmm. I've heard lots of different stories about people trying to get their pets, um, you know, here with them and figuring out places to stay. And 
um, that su- that support that and just uh, all different kinds of stories. So I was fortunate enough to, to have a place here with family, but I know that other people aren't, uh, aren't so lucky. Ted Farr is the news director at AM 1150 in Kelowna. I've known Ted for many years. And Ted, thank you very much for joining us. When I heard that you've been evacuated, I, I became very alarmed. I'm, I'm, I'm alarmed for everyone who's evacuated, but when you know somebody, it becomes personal. How are you? Well, we're doing okay, Roy. I mean, there are 10,700 properties in the Kelowna area that are currently evacuated and another 9,400 properties on evacuation alert. So just do the math about how many people might be involved in those uh, those properties, uh, families of two kids. Uh, a lot of young families would have been impacted. And uh, you get some idea of the scope of how many people are dramatically affected. Uh, I found it interesting listening uh, just a while ago to the professor from the university in Kamloops talking about uh, smoke. Uh, the smoke here is brutal. I mean, it stinks. It's, it's got particulates in it. There's ash and there's burnt uh, pine needles falling on our properties. Uh, a couple of days ago, we were picking up bits of, bits of tree and tree bark that obviously was on fire when it came through the air. Uh, those are some of the danger zones uh, that, that occur in these kinds of fires. And that's what happened uh, from West Kelowna, embers flying across the lake and lighting up fires on the Kelowna side. So uh, that's how it spread. It's, uh, it's, the, the wind was brutal. Uh, we were talking about uh, the fire originally about 94 hectares and how it exploded to 9,400 hectares. And now it's grown bigger than that, of course. Uh, but the the thing the thing exploded in a matter of hours. Yeah, you know, somebody pointed out to me yesterday when, uh, when we talked about the embers flying across Okanagan Lake. Somebody said to me, "That's not a small lake, by the way. That's a, that's a large body of water." And for the embers, some of them, I think, are as large as footballs flying across the lake. That that tells you a lot about the force of the fire and the wind. I mean, that must be just terrifying. Well, it was like a blast furnace on the West Kelowna side. I mean, you had tr- trees candling, you had uh, flames hundreds of feet in the air. I mean, it was it was brutal. And for bits and pieces to explode into the air and then get carried by the wind was not an unusual occurrence. Yeah. What's the situation right now, Ted? Well, it has improved, Roy. I mean, the good news is uh, there was a news conference about an hour ago whereby uh, they had the fire chiefs from... Uh, West Kelowna, Kelowna, uh, Lake Country, where they've got a real problem, and uh, in the area uh, on the west side, which is where the resort, the Okanagan uh, Resort, burned down, uh, the fire chief responsible for that whole area. Every one of them said last night was was the best night they've had since this thing began. Uh, The wind was down. The temperature was down. It dropped to 7 Celsius in Kelowna, so the coolness in the air uh, more moisture in the air. All of that helped the fire suppression efforts last night. Today, we're hopeful that uh, winds in the forecast will be moderate to light and won't um, damage the efforts of the fire departments at all. Um, so uh, the, there's a special crew here in town I just want to talk about for a minute. Sure. Uh, they've now arrived from Vancouver um, involving uh, police, fire, ambulance, uh, engineers, uh, they're the people that will go into communities and assess the damage. So we're about to start that process. 
uh, and was West Kelowna Fire Chief Jason Broland, who has been an amazing storyteller all through this thing about the experiences of he and his crew. Um, he was talking about how uh, fire was stopped at people's patios oh my right God. next to their lawn furniture. Oh, my God. They were talking about, uh, you know, trying to keep homes from burning down and the effort that was going on with fire departments from all over British Columbia involved. I've seen a couple of videos today. Um, there's a, a real estate agent that I know in West Kelowna. She's been posting videos from her security camera. And the one from yesterday showed her covered patio at the back of her house, and it had the usual. I mean, it had the chairs, the cushions, the barbecue, all the things were there. And the one she showed today, her barbecue, anything flammable like the cushions off the chairs, everything had been moved deep into the yard, so it wasn't up against the house. And I saw another video today that caught a fireman actually doing that work. Oh, no kidding. eh? At a home that was threatened by fire. God bless these first responders. Well, and and they're turning on people's sprinkler systems so that their yards are damp. Yeah. You know, you you talk... It's it's fascinating. Yeah. When you you talk about this group from Vancouver, I heard a news story about, I think about an hour or so ago, Ted, that uh, getting support, logistical support to the communities like um, Kelowna is extremely difficult because the whole province is under a state of emergency and and what you need from an, what you would normally get from another community they can't give you because they they need it themselves well and that's that's the case in some examples still though i mean the, the number of uh, fire trucks and fire crews that are here helping in this battle uh, from other communities around the province from as far down as vancouver mm-hmm. uh, is is terrific and as the fire chiefs have said you know, tactically, they all worked off the same playbook, so they're able to incorporate these these firefighters into their plans without without issue. Oh, that's so fantastic. the coordination and the effort that's going on to save people's homes. I mean, that has been the number one priority. Uh, the coordination effort has been something else. Ted, how are people generally in in the communities? Of Kelowna well, and West Kelowna handling to, it. Yeah, I can only speak to our neighborhood. Okay. Right? I mean, we, on Friday night, uh, we had not even been in an evacuation alert. Our neighborhood is below the fire. Above us, there are neighborhoods evacuated. To each side of us, the neighborhoods are evacuated. But we've been uh, immune from all of this. So all of a sudden, Friday night at dinner time, boom, evacuation order, get out. So we did, and the whole neighborhood left, uh, except for a few. And it was interesting because there was some kind of an issue with the computer, and there was a glitch, and the evacuation order for our area was rescinded, so we all came back home the next day. But, you know, our neighbors are, you know, we've got confusion in our neighborhood, we've got high anxiety in our neighborhood, we've got... Um, you know, people trying to get out, and, and there's no such thing as fresh air, <laughs> unless you're sleeping right, ne- right next to a HEPA filter. Um, so there, there's, just, there, there's just people talking to each other and trying to support each other, and the feelings, I mean, there are no adjectives to describe what this feels like. That's the only way I can describe it to you. You have been a 
journalist for decades. 54 years. 54 years as a journalist. And and you say, and I believe you completely, because I'm watching this from thousands of kilometers away, but I can't think of any words to describe. I just sit there and stare, Ted, and you're right in the middle of it. Yeah, it it is it is. Uh, I've heard it described as surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it. I mean, the anxiety level is extremely high. Um, it, it, the stress level. It, there are there are new meanings for the words stress and anxiety as a result of this experience. Yeah, I can only imagine what the people of Kelowna felt like twenty years ago, uh, because it was twenty years ago almost to the day that the uh, Okanagan Mountain fire struck Kelowna and destroyed 234, 235 homes on the opposite side of the lake to where we are today. Ted, uh, it, it's always, it's not morbid, but there's a great curiosity about the damage that is done by these events like this, this fire that grew so exponentially. And I'm just looking for a quote that I had yesterday, uh, the, the fire chief of West Kelowna saying, um, oh yeah, he said, firefighters faced a hundred years of firefighting in one night, what's it done to your communities? Well, you know, we we know that homes have been lost. We know there's destruction. There's going to be devastation in some areas. We've heard the stories of the firefighters and the heroic tactics that they've taken to save properties and save important infrastructure like schools and uh, the water treatment plant in West Kelowna. Uh, but there's going to be millions of dollars of damage. Uh, the homes that were first lost were waterfront homes along the lake. I, I can't even imagine what the values of some of those homes may have been. And then you go into neighborhoods where, you know, a million bucks is almost a, a starting point to, uh, to, to land a home if one is for sale at all. And we don't yet know how many homes in that neighborhood were lost. We know that some were, but how many, we don't know. So until there's an accounting done, we don't know about the physical damage to the neighborhood. The emotional damage, I'm sure, will be there for a very long time. Um, it's, it's, it, it, you have no idea what this feels like until you're in it. Even if you've been involved in in evacuations before, I I know some people that have been evacuated two and three times over the years, and they they consider themselves veterans. They seem to know what a a grab bag should contain and where their documents are. But for us newbies that have never been through it before, uh, you can can look at all the video online that you want. You can read all the articles, listen to the news stories. This is what you need to do. This is how you do it. But then when uh, the rubber hits the road, you just don't know. Yeah. And, um, and you leave things behind you shouldn't have left behind. I, I've talked to people in the last couple of days that were evacuated, and they forgot to take their charging cords for their phones and their tablets. You know, I can, I can believe that because I, another woman you just want to hit the road, right? Forgot her, forgot her toothbrush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, state of emergency still exists? Yes. All across the, uh, the province, actually. Um, all the communities of the Kelowna area are under local states of emergency, and the province declared a state of emergency everywhere. It just allows the governments involved to access funds and whatever else they happen to need to try to battle these things. 
uh, evacuation uh, evacuation orders are standing. None of them are being hauled back as yet. Uh, they want to get through another day of firefighting and get through some of the early assessment process and make sure that they don't allow people back into their homes and then uh, 10 hours later have to kick them out again. So uh, it, as we enter into a work week, it's certainly going to be different for very many people uh, because you're on pins and needles because you don't know. Charles Dent is a former territorial member of the Legislative Assembly, Northwest Territories, currently chair of the Northwest Territories Human Rights Commission. He's also the founder of a prominent uh, radio station and a former cabinet minister in the Northwest Territories. Mr. Dent, it's not a redundant question. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm I'm here in southern Ontario, and, and we're just watching what's what's developing in this country, and we feel so close to to our fellow Canadians who are so distant from us, but being assaulted by these fires. My, my thinking was and remains: if anyone is prepared to effectively deal with forest or wildfires, it is people and communities in the far north. You have greater experience, I think, than most anyone in this country. Um, would you support that view? And have you ever encountered a fire of the magnitude of the one threatening Yellowknife now? Um, well, one of the big challenges in the north, of course, is the lack of transportation infrastructure. So um, it doesn't have to be a huge fire before it becomes a problem for a community. In, in Yellowknife, um, the only uh, time I've seen anything quite as bad as what I saw last week was um, in 2014. Um, we did have a the fire. The fire itself didn't get as close to Yellowknife, but the the smoke and the the pine tar, like the the trees are burning up so quickly and so hot that um, the tar from the trees actually condensed out and was raining on the city. Oh my! Um, and it uh, caused a lot of damage to cars and homes and so on. So it, it's yeah, we we often get fires, but uh, typically we don't run into into problems like like this. You know, there's there's a, a very small population in a very large area, so fires uh, happen all the time, but they don't always happen close to communities. And this year, it's been really bad. It's been close to communities: Fort Smith, Bay River, Inuvik. Um, you know, it's and Yellowknife and Betchoko. It's it's really been um, a, a challenge for the, the firefighters and for for the people. I mean, right now. Almost two-thirds of the population of the Northwest Territories is under evacuation order. Oh, that's stunning, isn't it? How is, how's your situation, uh, if I may ask, uh, your home, your, your life, your family? Well, I'm, yeah. I uh, I drove from Yellowknife when the evacuation order came out Wednesday night, and I packed up my truck, and I left uh, um, just about quarter to seven in the morning on Thursday and uh, managed to get to Edmonton by 10.15 that night, so 15 and a half hours. Uh, it was pointed out to me that uh, the bridge, it's the, is it the Daytro Bridge that was built in 2012? It's, it's proving to be yeah. massively important, isn't it? Because prior to that, there was only ferry service across the Mackenzie River. Yeah. <laughs> I can't well, how would that work? 15,000 people out if, uh, if it was only the oh, ferry service. I know, my goodness. You no, know, there's been some... Some, some people have questioned whether or not it was a good investment to to pay for that bridge, but I think um, it it uh, certainly proved its value this past week. Uh, some people, and uh, and I've talked to some of the, uh, well, a few people, who evacuated, self-evacuated from Yellowknife, 
and they're questioning why the evacuation wasn't ordered, ordered earlier and questioning how long it took to board a flight to get out of the uh, territories to Alberta or British Columbia. What, as a former member of the legislature, former cabinet minister, how do you, how do you approach that? Well, I, you know, I think, as, as you say, having been in, in politics, I've been on both sides of that equation. And it's a, it's a tough one to balance because you don't want to risk people's lives. Uh, so you've got to make sure that you're, you're thinking, you know, very, very carefully about public safety. But you also don't want to panic people and make them um, jump on the road or jump on an airplane and, and uh uh, if it's not going to be absolutely necessary. And I think, you know, based on, on what I've seen, and, and by the way, I don't have any inside information, so I'm basing this pretty much on, uh, on what I see in the media. Um, I think the, the folks at NWT Fire who make the recommendations to the politicians were a little surprised at how quickly things developed with the fire around Yellowknife. Um, it um, it moved suddenly on one day quite a quite a ways, quite a bit further than was expected. And you know, since then the, we've been lucky. The weather's cooled down and it hasn't moved a lot. But I think the the way it moved that one day, they realized that that this wasn't something that could be put off. But you know, it, it's always the public is always going to criticize, or some members of the public will always criticize uh, the decision. It was either too fast, too slow. Um, you know, if the fire doesn't actually get to Yellowknife, I'm, I'm sure the politicians will be under significant criticism for having gotten us all to evacuate. But, you know, in terms of, of protecting public safety, I think that's always got to be number one um, in, in a public servant's mind. And you've got to... You got to make sure that you're doing what you can to keep a population safe. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a tough call, and when you say that uh, two thirds of the of the Northwest Territories are under evacuation order, that that really puts it in, in, into perspective. There's some some amazing stories about uh, folks uh, taking other ch- people's children with them, or or um, when they evacuated, or or their pets, and, and a veterinarian in in Yellowknife working hard to get the pets out of the out of the cities. There's some personal hero- heroism that is displayed um, in, in situations like that. And these are the folks, I think, who ultimately make a huge difference because they just connect with everybody. Mr. Danda, I thank you very much uh, I, uh, for joining us. I hope your city stays, stays absolutely safe and, and that fire keeps its distance from, uh, from Yellowknife. And all the very best to everybody else in the territories. Thank you. Well, there's lots of us in, uh, in Alberta who are hoping that... Uh we can go back to our homes that, uh, and that they're not fire damaged. I know we've been watching what's happening in, in B.C. and uh, they've got a lot uh, a lot on their plates as well. Yes, they it's do. A real, it's not a good, a good time in Canada for fires right now. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.